Good morning, church. We are in Luke chapter 3. You know, you guys, I looked at my phone this morning and I was kind of bummed. I was bummed because there was no snow forecasted. My wife was rejoicing. Me, not so much. See, I like snow. I like walking in it. I like falling on it. I like all, everything about it up to here. I like it. I like it a lot. So when I saw that, I was kind of bummed. So for those of you that don't like snow, I have good news for you. No snow is forecasted. And for those of you that do like snow like me, I have good news for you as well. Okay? Can the one who raised the dead make it snow? Can, can, can the one that calmed the storm, can, can he make it snow? Can the one who himself came up from the dead, can, can he do that? pretty sure you can. So we got to keep praying, okay? Because I want to see snow. I want to see snow. Yes. Amen, sister. Me too. My boys too. All right. So we're in Luke chapter 3. We're going to do 1 through 20, you guys. Now in the fifth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate, being the governor of Judea, Herod being a tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Ituria, and the region of Trachonitis, and Licinius, tetrarch of Abilene. While Annas and Caiaphas were high priests, the word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight, Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight, and the rough way smooth, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Then he said to the multitudes that came out to be baptized by him, Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you, that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So the people asked him, saying, What shall we do then? He answered and said to him, He who has two tunics, let him give to him who has none. And he who has food, let him do likewise. Then tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than what is appointed for you. Likewise, the soldiers asked him, saying, And what shall we do? So he said to them, Do not intimidate anyone or accuse falsely and be content with your wages. Now, as the people were, were in expectation, all reasoned in their hearts about John, whether he was a Christ or not. John answered, saying to all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to lose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather the wheat into his barn. But the shaft he will burn with unquenchable fire. And with many other exhortations he preached to the people. But Herod, the tetrarch, being rebuked by him concerning Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, and for all the evils which Herod had done, also added this above all, that he should shut John up in prison. Let's prepare our hearts for the teaching of God's word. Father God, we love you. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for for saving us. We thank you for loving us, Father. Father, I'm reminded of uh, these uh, two men that Jesus speaks about, uh, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And he says this Pharisee came with all these things and said, I'm I'm crossing all my T's, I'm dotting all my I's, I've done all this, God, and the other, I've done it all, and thanks for not making me like that guy over there. Well, that guy over there was a tax collector, hated by all. He wouldn't even so much as look up at heaven, but said, 
God be merciful to me, a sinner. And so see, this man was able to say, like the song that we sang, it is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. And Father, I'm reminded of the two thieves, one hanging on your left side and one on your right on the cross. Both reviling, mocking, spitting along with the crowd. But Father, I've heard it said that if we change our mind about our sin, that God will then change our hearts. And so this man had a change of heart, asking Jesus, saying, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus promises to him this day, You will be with me in paradise. So this man too, Father, was then able to say, It is well with my soul. And so, Father, I just pray that not one person, not one soul leaves this building, leaves this place without that assurance, without also being able to say, It is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. We love you, Lord. We thank you for the countless blessings in our life. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning we get to consider... I love this uh, gospel account of uh, John the Baptist because it gives us so many things that we can look at, so many things we can kind of lay a hold of, put our hands on and understand what is it? What is it that a voice crying in the wilderness is supposed to be like? And and what does that mean for us? Or what does it mean to us? The first thing we saw as we get in this is the political situation. Now, I just want you to realize the political situation then was not any better than it is today. You still have division, even in the nation of Israel. You had the Sadducees. Let me give you another name for them. Democrats. You had the Pharisees. Let me give you another name for them. Republicans. It's exactly the same. Exactly. One was conservative, the other liberal. They were divided over things. They were, they, the, the nation was, was having a lot of turmoil. The nation of Israel had never known its own autonomy since uh, going all the way back to, to Nehemiah, Ezra and Nehemiah. I mean, they get to go back to the land. They get to rebuild the temple. But uh, they, there's no king. There's always somebody in charge of them. There's always another nation. You know, for a period of time during the 400 years of silence, it was, it was the four divided kingdoms of Greece and Antiochus Epiphanes who caused so much grief there in the nation of Israel. And during that time, under all that turmoil, Israel was crying out for somebody to help them. They needed somebody, another nation that was tough, that was strong, that was young. So they called on these guys in Rome. And they're still there in our text. Rome came, Rome helped, Rome conquered, Rome took. Now Rome's in charge. And as you look at these first two verses, I just want you to see the political climate. Because they're going to name like six different leaders they got to deal with. Right? You guys get it? Like, uh, oh, well, here these guys say this, but that guy says that. Well, who's, who's in, who has authority over... Aren't, don't we still battle with that today? Who has authority over... Who, who, who's getting to make all these decisions? There's a There's a... Power struggle, if nothing else, going on in our nation. Well, look at it. You have, in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar. So the first guy, overall, Tiberius Caesar. Tiberius Caesar is going to reign from 14 AD to 37 AD. <coughs> There's some discussion about how to get to the 15th year of Tiberius Caesar and how to get there prior to uh, making it too late for the three years of ministry that that Jesus has. And here's the, here's the reason that's a struggle. In the ancient world, they had something called co-regency. Co-regency was when an older king or Caesar was fading out and a new one was coming, the new one would come into power and start ruling early. And nobody knows how they figured their year of ascension. So for us, most of us, we figure it at the death of the one before, and then the next one began to rule. But for them, 
It wasn't that way. The, the rulership would begin a couple of years prior to the death of the earlier king. So you have Tiberius Caesar. He's in charge. Then what, what's next? Pontius Pilate. He's the governor of Judea. We're going to see Pontius Pilate later on in the story, right? So you got Pontius Pilate. He's, uh, he's in charge. Then you have Herod being the tetrarch of Galilee. Tetrarch means a fourth part. So it's divided, Judea is divided into four parts. A fourth part is Herod's part. And then the other, another fourth part is his brother Philip, who was a tetrarch of the region of Itura and Trachonitis, and Licinius, who was the tetrarch of Abilene. So we have <coughs> three out of four talked about. Licinius is going to be up toward uh, um, Damascus. So he's going to be uh, on that side of things. And as we look... As we, as we, I just want you to understand the confusion. Because you have Big Cheese, the head guy, way up top, right? And then you have Pilate, who's local. But then you have Herod 1, who's local. And you have Herod 2, who's a little less local. Then you have Herod 3, who's local. You ever get confused on all the Herods? And then you, because, you know, let's not call ourselves anything different, right? I, I heard rumor, what was that, uh, uh, Frazier, Frazier who fought Ali, what's his name? First name, George, right? I heard he named his kids George. George Foreman, yeah, not Frazier, Joe Frazier. Yeah, well, it wasn't all of them, I think like four or five of them, but he named them all George. It's con- I have one son named Jackie, and it's confusing. I have one, I can't imagine all those others. How could that be confusing, you say? Well, we both bank at the same place. Let me just say, he don't have no money in his account. <laughs> There's one time he, he goes to the bank, JC goes to the bank, and he, and he goes to get money out, and he goes like, man, our, we must have got our taxes or something. There's money in the bank. And so he's just having a ball. Yeah. They put my check in his bank. He is happy as he could be. Got a bonus in the middle of it all. So having the same name, similar names, makes things confusing, right? The political climate <coughs> was confusing, but not just the political climate. The religious climate was confusing. Why? Look at the next verse. It says, it says, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas. Now, <coughs> during the high priesthood is singular. And then you have two names, Annas and Caiaphas, which is plural, which confuses you all by itself. Why? Because Annas was supposed to be the high priest. And a high priest reigned forever. He was high priest until he died. And then another high priest would be chosen. But Rome didn't like Annas. So they deposed him. And they put his son-in-law in charge. His son-in-law was Caiaphas. Now the people... They considered Caiaphas the Roman high priest and Annas the Jewish high priest. So we have a little bit of confusion going on on the religious side as well. Confusing times politically, confusing time religiously. And then, not only that, but then we have this voice coming. Listen to the very next verse. It says, <coughs> or the very next part of verse 2. And the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. That's a phrase, by the way, that's used of every prophet in the Old Testament. And the word of God came to him. And I want you to, to hear that a little differently than we tend to hear it. Usually how we tend to hear that is something popped into John's head and he figured that must be the word of God. But I would say the word of God is a person. And the word of God appeared to John. The idea of the word of God appeared to John in the wilderness tells us that he saw him. He came. He's looking at the word of God. The word of God is there. Ezekiel, it says, the word of God came to Ezekiel and touched him. A thought doesn't do that. Physically laid his hand on his shoulder. There's this idea that the Old Testament prophets, part of the calling of an Old Testament prophet was 
this moment, this touching, this seeing, this receiving your message from the Word of God. Now, to apply that to us, that's also where our message ought to come from. From the Word of God. The Word of God that still can touch us today, that still speaks to us today, that is still with us today. That is our anchor to understand and to know whatever has come or whatever's being said or whatever's being shared is from God. If it's not anchored to the Word, then there's no foundation by which to confirm a Word. Do you understand? If someone comes to me and they say, Jackie, God told me to go here or there, my next answer will be, you ought to go. Oh, why would you say that? Do you really think God told them? I don't know. And I can't go to the Word and say, well, God wouldn't talk to you. God wouldn't give you directions. God wouldn't show you the way. So I would say if God told you something, you ought to be doing what God said. No. Is there a time when we're supposed to say, uh, God told me to do this, but I told God no? Is that okay? Yeah, it should not go that way, right? So we want to respond to that. We want to be able to receive it. But here, in in John's case, I think he is visited by God the Word. The Word of God comes to him in the wilderness and delivers to him this voice. What is this voice? This voice is a message of God. The message of God to the people to prepare the way, right, for Messiah. Prepare the way for Jesus Christ. So the first way I know that that's what this is, is because it said the Word of God came to him. The Word of God came to him, just like the Word of God came in the Old Testament. Look at verse 3, the content of the message. It says, he went to all the region around uh, around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of of sin. There's a lot of things we want to get out of here. One, Elijah. You guys remember Elijah? Prophet Elijah. Malachi says before the, the end of the world will come, Elijah comes back. We have, uh, we have this interesting little tidbit about John the Baptist's ministry. Where Elijah finished his ministry was in the area around the Jordan. Where John the Baptist starts his ministry is in the area around the Jordan. Same spot. Same place. Desert, there's nothing, not much there, just uh, sand, rock, and a uh, little river flowing down where, where people would gather. It's interesting to me because it's just not somewhere you would go. Yeah, like you and I, we might, we might say, you know, I'm going to go down another river. And we go down to Snake River somewhere. And, but this would be like, say, I'm going to go down to the river and driving out to the middle of the godforsaken desert in Nevada for a, a little creek out there somewhere. So it's, it's kind of withdrawn. Now, I don't want you to get the idea it's that far. It's not quite that far. But it is, there's no, you can go to Dan in a different direction. If you're in Jerusalem and you want to go someplace nice, you go north where, where Dan is. And you got forests and trees and grass and the head of the Jordan River. Jordan River starts up there. Beautiful. Or do you go down into the <clears throat> south, where it's desert and sand. Same Jordan River, but no trees, no grass, none of that stuff down there. Well, that's where John's at. John's down there. It's interesting to me that that would be where he would begin. And then his ministry, I don't want you to miss his ministry, is this. Proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now, it's not in order to get forgiveness of sins. It is because of the result of. A baptism of repentance is a result of forgiveness of sin. Because they have repented, because they have turned, they're baptized to... to, uh, Mark that moment, that day, when their life took a different direction. It wasn't something they earned as a result of the baptism, but something they did because of what God had had done in their life. A baptism of repentance. So, (coughs) John the Baptist is preaching repentance 
for the, for the forgiveness of sin. Repentance for the forgiveness of sin. So the idea that we are acknowledging that we're a sinner and we are changing the road we're on. And Wednesdays we've been studying the book of Proverbs. And one of the things the book of Proverbs teaches us is that there are two roads. One is the road of destruction. The other is the road of life. Does it sound familiar? Jesus said, broad is the way that leads to destruction. Many there are who find it. Narrow is the way that leads to life. Few there are who find that. The book of Proverbs seems to lay out for us a series of street signs. So you can understand, what road am I on? So I look at the things that Proverbs says. And Proverbs says, a wise man does this. A fool does that. What is he telling me? A wise man's in this road. A fool's on this one. And I ask myself, which one am I on? Oh, in that case, I'm acting like the fool. What do I need to do? Repent. What does that mean? Change my direction. Why do I need to change my direction? I'm on the wrong road. The road's going the wrong way. So I'm going to turn and get back on the right road. I'm going to pay attention to the street signs. John is preaching a message of repentance. Jesus also preached that message, by the way. Matthew chapter 4, verse 17 says this. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. Repent. What is he saying? You're on the wrong road. You guys are on the wrong road. What is Jesus declaring? What is, what's, what's he say to his disciples? Come and do what? Come and follow me. Come and follow me. The roads you're walking are not the roads that get you where you want to go. Come follow me. What is that? What is that motion? When, when I'm a fisher of men, or, or I'm a, I'm a fisherman, and I'm on a boat, and I'm all busy about that work, and Jesus says, come follow me. What happened in my life? Is that not a radical change of direction? All of a sudden, I just leave my boat, and I, I go to follow him? I'd say that's a change of direction. What, what does the Bible call that? What's the word it uses? Repentance. <laughs> Repentance. A change of Direction. Jesus said in Luke 17, 3, Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, listen to this, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. That's interesting, huh? It's a call to repentance. And the idea, idea, at least in this verse, that repentance hinges, or that forgiveness hinges on repentance. We look at the teaching of the apostles. Look at them. Acts 2.38. Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins, not for to earn, but as a result of, because you have been forgiven, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. What is the call from Paul? First message ever preached when the church is born? Repent. Repent. Change your direction. What about later on? Acts chapter 3 verse 19. Repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. What about later still? Acts 17 verse 30. These times of ignorance God has overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. The voice crying in the wilderness was calling the people to what? Repentance. Change your direction. Part of changing my direction is acknowledging that I am not where I want to be. Part of it is recognizing I'm lost. Right, fellas, that's a little rough for us. I'm lost. How many times my wife has looked at me and said, do you know where you're going? Uh, I feel like Fonzie. You guys ever watch Happy Days? And he's supposed to say, I'm sorry. He could never say it. Well, that's me and Lost. I'm la, 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 la. I don't know where I'm going right now. And then the, here's the thing. I get all mad at my wife because we'll stop somewhere and she'll just walk up to the first guy she sees and ask him directions. And I'm like, babe, you can't do that. That's a, you're violating the code. You go ask that guy directions, and the first thing he's thinking is, man, that loser's lost. <laughs> oh, it's hard, but that's part of repentance. 
Part of changing my direction is being able to say, I'm lost. Now, a lot of these things become words we use in the church, right? I was lost, but then I was found. I, I, I repent. I confess my sins. I, he has forgiven me. I have a relationship with God. But that can all just become a bunch of words. I want you to know those words are very practical. Something actually occurred when those words were spoken. And people flocked to John. And he would tell them, Man, you guys need to change your direction. You need to change. You need to change. We see the message that he had was a message that came from God. And then we see the connection with the Old Testament prophets. Look at verse 4. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Every valley will be filled, every mountain and hill will be made low, and the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places will become level, so that all flesh will see the salvation of our God. That was two prophecies. One from, uh, from Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 40, verses 3 through 5, and the other one from Isaiah 52.10. Each one is a proclamation of what a voice in the wilderness did. A voice in the wilderness made... Straight paths, not crooked ones. He took hills and brought them down. He took valleys and filled them up. What is the whole thing that he's saying? The whole, guy, the whole thing he's laying out for us, guys, is he's making the roadway clear so we can see it. This is the road I'm supposed to be on. Look, it's marked. Life. It says life. I, that's the road that I want to take. That's the road that I want to get on. You see, Jesus said, broad is a way of destruction. Many there are who find it. You don't have to work at that one. That one we find ourselves on all the time. Don't even have to try. If you don't try, trust me, you'll end up on the road of destruction. It's like automatic. It's like water flowing downhill. Automatic, I'll get on that road. How do I recognize? How do I do? I, there's, I want to be looking for the street signs. What is it that John the Baptist came to do? He came to make them clear. To lower the mountains, to lower the things, to make the highway. The idea is that the highway would be raised up and level and everyone could see where it was. Come, follow me. So John is, is making that. And that's what the Old Testament prophets were all about in Isaiah 40. <coughs> verse 3 through 5. A voice cries, in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord, make straight the desert. A highway for our God. Yeah, they want to make this way clear. Every valley lifted up, every mountain brought low. Uneven ground will become level, rough places a plain. The glory of the Lord shall reveal, shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Hey, God wants us to see the road. The idea of the broad way and the narrow way is not that no one can know where it is. It's so difficult to find the way of salvation. It's so hard to get to it. There's not very many people who are saved. That's not the idea. The idea is it, it requires us to be willing to take a look. Consider, am I on that road? What road am I on? Am I walking the path of destruction? Or am I really on the road of life? Am I following Jesus? That's a great way to know what road I'm on, right? Right? Jesus calls us to follow him. In Isaiah 52.10, it says, The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. In Romans chapter 1, it clearly declares to us that mankind knows God, because God has shown himself to them. The road can be seen. It's not a question of the road can't be seen. It is a question of, I don't want to walk that road. I don't want to get directions. I don't want to change my way. I want to do what I want to do, how I want to do it. I want to live my life by my own rules, my own ideals. Don't we all feel that? I I might be the only one, but I got that stuff crawling around in me too, man. I I want to rebel as soon as somebody tells me a rule. 
As soon as they say speed limit is 30, I want to go 35. No? Or the only time that I'm getting old, so the only time that doesn't work is on the freeway to Boise, because I'm like, I do not want to go 90 like all those crazy people. I'll just sit behind a truck somewhere and be and relax. But when I was a kid, 80 was fast. You know, back then it was 55 everywhere. Yeah, it's not that way no more, huh? 55, shoot, it's 55 in the country on a road. So, but I, I find this. You put up a, a sign by a, by a pond that says, no fishing. First thing that happens in me is a desire to fish. Because why would they put up a sign, no fishing? They, well, they're trying to keep all the fish for themselves. Uh, maybe I just think crooked. <clears throat> the Bible tells us, though, we know God. We know there's God. And here the word of God is saying because of John and because of, as we're going to continue, hopefully, the voice of the church, the way is made clear. Because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Why does he tell us? I'm the way. I'm the road, guys. It's me. Come follow me. Come follow me. All these pieces fit together. They come together. And so you have this connection. You have the word of God coming to him in the wilderness. You have the message of repentance, which we see throughout. And then you have this connection with the Old Testament. So we know that this message is from the Lord. And so he's preaching repentance. What's the first thing he's going to do for them? He's going to warn them. He warns them. Look, verse 7. He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized, you brood of vipers. Well, that's a good way to build a following, right? You bunch of poisonous snakes. That's what he calls them. You brood of vipers. Who warned you to flee from the wrath who is to come? Now, please get your mind in this. He's down in the desert. Crazy, you know, wild, even crazier than I look. Trust me. And camel, uh, camel skin clothes and, and bugs in his teeth. Yeah? Eating locusts and honey. So he's, he's got all the, and people are flocking to him. And as they come to him, his message for them, we're going to see it in a moment, is repentance. He's going to tell them street signs. Get your hearts right. Messiah is going to come. He's going to walk right down here where I'm at. Messiah is going to come down here. And if you happen to be here on that day when I say, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, you'll have an opportunity to know who Messiah is. And so people are coming. People are listening. And so he says, Who's warned you? Why are you fleeing the wrath that is to come? I want you to hold on to that idea, because in a moment we're going to talk about what Jesus is come to do. <coughs> so he says to them in verse 8, Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able to, uh, from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the tree. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. What's he warning them? He's warning them about meaningless ritual. Just stuff going through the motions. He's saying, well, who warned you to come here? If you're going to come, what's he say? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Bear fruit. In other words, if, if you're changing your direction, change your direction. If you're moving in a different way, if you're following Jesus Christ, then follow Jesus Christ. Not just going through the motions. Listen to what Jesus said, Matthew 3, 7, when he saw <coughs> many of the uh, Pharisees and Sadducees coming, he said to them, Oh, this is John, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Speaking specifically of the scribes and Pharisees. Matthew 23, Jesus said, You serpents, you brood of vipers, how are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Don't just show up to show up because everybody's showing up. That didn't change anything. That didn't do anything. They, the, the same guys were all coming together. You had... Everybody gathering together at one place in the middle of the desert around this crazy man standing in the water with, with long hair and a long beard and he's telling them, repent, change your lives. But he's warning them, he's telling them it's got to be real. 
<clears throat> if your direction, if your road changes, your direction changes. Something is different in your life. Coming into repentance, the same thing is true. He warns them about false security. Look, remember what he said about Abraham? Don't say that, well, we have Abraham as our father. We're Jews. Of course we're saved. Everybody else is fuel for the pits of hell, but we're good. We're born into it. You get the same thing in, in uh, Christian circles. Are you a believer? Yeah, my, my, my dad's a preacher. My grandpa was a preacher. My family's always gone to church. By the way, none of those things save you. God doesn't have grandkids. God only has kids. You, me, we have to have our own relationship with God. Don't have a sense of false sense of security. God says, I, I, can, make, I can make children of Abraham out of these rocks. Yeah, by the way, Psalm 103 says we're dirt clods. So it's not all that far off. It really is not all that far off. We look at it and we say, look, we, I don't want to have this idea that because of my relationship, because I do, because of what I do or what I've done, that, that it is, it is a little bit, it is a little bit deeper than that. And then he tells them about coming judgment. He says, hey, the axe is laid to the root of the tree. Judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. By 70 AD, they're not going to be Israel no more. You say, we're, we're saved because we're sons of Abraham. And John the Baptist is saying, dude, that the axe is at the root. That tree's coming down. <laughs> There's going to be 2,000 years without you being able to say we're sons of Abraham. The, the idea of this coming judgment looming on the horizon. In Matthew seven seventeen, it says, So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but a diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. <clears throat> Thus you will know them by their fruits. So we want to have fruits. We want to be fruitful. He's calling them to real repentance, a real relationship, not some kind of outward, I'm going through the motion, I punch my card, you know, I went to church Sunday, or I missed Sunday, I went Wednesday, or, or I went to a Bible study, or it's got, it's, what, why are you doing that? Are you doing that just to, just to, 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 to say, you know, I, that's how I'm getting, that's how I have a relationship with the Lord, or do you have one? You see, you see somebody that you think about every day, like the other people in your life you have relationships with. Right? I have a relationship with my wife. Uh, not very often I go a week without thinking about my wife. Right? Yeah, she's there all the time. We talk about things, we say things like having a relationship with God, and then we, we, that just becomes a word. What's the reality look like? That we have it. Yeah, that there's something there. That there's somebody I talk to. Somebody I want to sit with. Somebody I want to share my life with. Some, somebody I want to tell about the good things of my day. Or the bad. That's relationships. And when we talk about relationship with God, that's what it looks like. And all of that is, is kind of brought together in the concept of praying without ceasing. Yeah, talking to God all day. Recognizing Him right now, this moment, 10 minutes from now, 20 minutes from now, something crazy happens on the road that our, that our first thoughts are running to Him, thinking about Him, calling on His name. That's a relationship. That's how we have a relationship with people. That's how I have a relationship with my mom or my dad or my friends. And that's how we want to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. We don't want to have... Some false security that says, oh yeah, I have that because I went to church. You can. That can be a great vehicle for a relationship. It can also be just ritual, right? Do we get it? We don't want to say, yeah, of course I got a relationship with Jesus Christ. I was baptized. Yeah, that can be a sign that God is moving and working in your life, but that didn't save you. It's the reality of having that relationship with Christ. And just like John's message to them about repentance, his message to us, the axe 
is at the root of the tree. There, there's, only, there's only two roads. One leads to destruction, the other to life. Know which one you're on. Don't guess. Don't hope. Know. John says, you can know. You can know. How can you know? Because you can abide in Christ. And if I abide in Christ, I'm golden. If I abide in Christ, I'm on the right road. Why? Because he is. I want to be as If I'm pursuing that as my treasure, man, we're golden. We're good to go. We want to understand that. Look at the exhortation he gives him in verse 10. So the crowds are coming to him. And he's telling them to repent. And they're trying to understand what he's talking about. So look what they say. The crowd say, what, what should we do? What should we do? Do you hear what John the Baptist told him to do? He said to them, whoever of you has two tunics is to share with him who has none. Now, why would he say that? Okay, we're repenting. We're changing our ways. We're moving in a different direction. So what should we do, John? What, 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 what's, what's it look like? Well, if you've got two tunics, share one with somebody who don't. What's another way to say it? Be generous. Be generous. I throw away a lot of food. You guys do that? I mean, even some of it I give to the dog, but I, sometimes I even feel guilty because I threw away food I could have gave to the dog. We, we got a lot. No? We got a lot. We got a lot of stuff. Every time I go through my garage, I think, Lord, have mercy. I'm, I need to build another garage to put my stuff in. And what's John saying? If you got two tunics, man, when I look in my garage, I got two tunics. I look in my closets, I got two tunics. I, I, I got stuff and I and I don't need it all. Right? So when there's an opportunity, when when something comes up, the road of life is a generous path. It's a path of generosity. I love because to me, Christians are some of the most generous people I know. Some of the most generous people I know are, are believers who are following Jesus Christ, walking the road of life. I knew this woman. She was a single mom. She had, I, I, I'm getting so far removed from the story, I get it all wrong now, I'm sure. But the moral of the story is the same. So, And you guys won't ever run into her because she's in heaven. So I could tell you the story any way I want. She's a mom. I think she had two or three kids. Single mom for sure. And <coughs> she, I'm not telling you guys do or not do anything. I'm just telling you what she did. She just felt like God wanted her to help people. So she'd see somebody hitchhiking and pick them up and take them to her house. She got little kids, man. I would tell her, I'd sit down and say, what are you doing? This bad idea. This is bad. This is no good. You should not do this. This don't make no sense. She said, you know, I'm just not all that worried about it. God's got me. And you know what? God had her. Her whole life. She was in horrific pain. Had a bad, bad back injury. And she just hurt her whole life. And one day, the doctor, you know, they, they gave her pills that conflicted. And she went to sleep and never woke up. Uh, and, uh, but her entire life, so at her funeral, you would not believe the people coming up, talking about how she helped them. Just person after person after person after person. And all I remember was I could just come up with all the reasons why she shouldn't. And she didn't necessarily see those she saw, nope, I'm okay. God protects me. I pray about them before I pick them up, and, I, and, and, and God watches over. Now, I'm not telling you guys go out and do that. I'm just saying, man, that was incredible to watch how God used her do, in her relationship with God, how God directed her, her lack of fear, and her generosity. 
That's pretty cool. It'd be pretty cool next week when we go over to Valley House. There's a lot of people there who have no relationship with Christ. And we're going to deliver them a truckload of blankets. So the folks who don't have any are going to have some. And it's going to be awesome on the, I think it's the 19th. Oh, Kathy Zinn will yell at me if I get it wrong. Kathy, oh, she is here. So what day? So the 14th, the Christmas boxes are going out for Wima. And all this uh, Christmas food, that's what we're collecting food for. In this back room, we got a table full of canned food. And we're going to make sure that everybody at Christmas time gets to make themselves a pretty cool meal. First thing John says when they ask him, what do we do? Be generous. Be generous with what you have. Whoever has food, do likewise. So he says, if you have two tunics, give it. If you have food, give it. <coughs> then the tax collectors came to him. Let's just say sinners. Sinners came to him. Okay, that's almost a synonymous term, isn't it? So the worst sinners they could think of back in those days was, was uh, prostitutes and tax collectors. So they come up and they say, tax collector comes to him and says, what, what do we need to do? What should we do? Teacher, what do we do? Well, you tell us to repent. I'm going to change my life. I want to be ready for the coming of Messiah. What do I do? So John says, stop ripping people off. Stop stealing. Turn from your sin is what he's telling them, isn't it? Turn from your sin. What did it, how did a tax collector make his money? By ripping people off. Rome say, charge everybody, you know, whatever, $1,000 a year. So he charged everybody $2,000 a year. So he'd get as much money as Rome. Rome didn't care as long as they got theirs. So he goes to John and, uh, to John and he says, Lord, we want to change our life. We want to go in a different direction so we're ready for the Lord. How do we do it? Stop ripping people off. Turn from your sin. Let me ask you a question. Is that going to cost a tax collector or something? Is, it, is his life going to change? How about the, the, the way he's going to make a living? Is it going to affect it? How he takes care of his family. Is it going to be affected? Was that an excuse not to do it? No. Not an excuse not to do it. Turn from your sin. That's what John's telling them. Well, if I turn from my sin, I don't know how I'm going to feed my family. Turn from your sin. If I turn from my sin, I don't know how we're going to make it. Turn from your sin. Repent. The road you're on is a path of destruction. Get off it. Walk the way of life. Next, soldiers came to him. Look at this. And the soldier said to him, what shall we do? Now this word soldier covers a, a vast array. It could be Roman soldiers, but we doubt Roman soldiers were, were going down to see John the Baptist. It's possible, but we doubt it. It's probably Jewish soldiers, probably more like temple guards or what we would consider today as police. Okay, security, some kind of security, maybe even security for the tax collectors, who knows. <clears throat> but they ask him, what shall we do? Don't you see how the, everybody's asking John, they want to come, they want to repent, they want to be baptized, and they're asking him, what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? And it's the same for them all. Change your direction. Change your direction. Change your direction. Walk the path that God has for you. So what's he say to the soldiers? He said to them, do not extort in, uh, money from anyone by threats or false accusations. So one of the ways that uh, a soldier would, or a policeman would make money in those days is make an accusation against somebody. Well, like uh, Spanish Inquisition. You guys heard of that before, right? Spanish Inquisition. How was it that they stole land from people? They make a, a false accusation of what? Oh, this guy's a devil worshiper. Oh, we should burn him at the stake. Yep, I'm going to burn him at the stake and take his land. At a church did that, by the way. That's well, a good way to raise funds. So they have a, have a burn somebody at the stake and steal their land. What is it that John was telling these guys? Yeah, don't make false accusations. 
Don't be brutal toward people. That's the word when you use intimidation. Don't be brutal. It's like beating somebody, like being the strong arm for a, for a loan shark or something. That's why I say maybe they were going out with the tax collectors. Whatever their life was, their life was the life of a soldier, which is in and of itself at times brutal. But he's not talking about that. He's talking about extorting people, about using what he has to rip off other people. Ultimately, what's he saying? Turn from your sin. Stop. Change your direction. But this is all I'm made for. If I stop doing this, what am I going to do? I'm strong, I'm fast, I can catch these guys and I can make them pay me. I can get guys to pay protection on the block. Uh, It's working out for me. You know, and what's he saying? No. Look, you're going to prepare your heart for the Lord. You're going to be ready for the coming of Messiah so that Jesus Christ can rule and reign in your life. Step number one, repent. Change direction. No excuse. No excuse for me to rage. I told you guys before, I, I, I can't have, I'm, I'm better now that I'm 50 something. 53, you sure? You're supposed to be my anchor. I look to you for all those answers. <coughs> <I'm>, <laughs> she's so nice. Uh, I'm not what I was, thank God for that, but I don't ever have an excuse. The Bible says that the wrath of man never accomplishes the righteousness of God. So I got when that happens, I need to repent. If I'm excusing that, if I just pretend like it's not a big deal and I can do that whenever I want to, or or gossiping, or I don't care, you guys pick whatever you want. If I'm just saying this is fine, I can just continue to be like this. I can continue to have bitterness in my heart. I can continue to have malice in my heart. I just make excuses for it all. Then you're not hearing the voice of one crying in the wilderness saying, repent. Repent. So easy to see all the problems in everybody else, isn't it? It's much more difficult to stand in front of a mirror and look at your own. Oh, man. Yeah, sometimes I do that. I do this. What is it, guys? A a man or woman following Jesus Christ on the road of life is going to live a life of repentance. Changing direction. Confessing my sin. Acknowledging that He is the one who washed me clean. To, To recognize and realize all that God has done for me. Here, John the Baptist is telling these guys, here's what it looks like. The other thing that voice in the wilderness sounds like, not only calling us to repentance, to turn and change, it also recognizes the greatness of Jesus. Look, as the people were in expectation, all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Messiah. That's what the Christ means. He might be the Messiah. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming. The strap of his sandal, I'm unworthy to loose. Do you know that it was taught by the rabbis that every disciple should be willing to do the or play the role of a slave for his teacher. But in their rules, even a disciple playing the role of a slave in the life of his teacher didn't have to loose the strap of his sandal. That was below him. And here John said, I I'm not even worthy loose the strap on a sandal the lowest possible job of a slave he says he will baptize you with the holy spirit and fire the holy spirit and fire his winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor to gather the wheat into the barn but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire two things jesus is coming to do he's coming to provide salvation He's coming to declare the way. Here's the way. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. We come to faith in Jesus Christ. He gives us, He grants us that guarantee of His Holy Spirit in the life of a believer. That which is a fulfillment of the promise that we have in following Him. The Holy Spirit that 
guarantee in the life of a believer. But he's also coming to bring fire. Fire is always judgment. Look at the next verse. His winnowing fan is in his hand. He's going to separate the wheat from the chaff. He's going to move that fan, blow the wind over the the seed, blow away the chaff so that the seed remains. He's going to do both. He recognizes this voice, the greatness of Jesus. I don't measure up to Him, but He is coming to do something. He's coming either to adopt you into the family of God or to be your judge. One or the other. He's coming to adopt you into the family of God by the baptism of the Holy Spirit or coming to judge. He is the dividing rod. He is the point. He is upon which all mankind's future lies. Jesus Christ. Who is he? What has he done? What has he worked? What is he accomplishing in us? Man, he is coming and I'm not worthy. He's saying, there's one coming. Here. He's coming here, down to the baptism. He's going to come one day <clears throat> while I'm ministering. And I just want you to know, I'm not even worthy to touch his sandal strap. He's going to adopt you into the family of God, or he's going to be your judge. One or the other. This is what John is declaring to them. The other thing we see about this voice in the wilderness is he wasn't afraid to rebuke sin. So with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. But Herod, the Tetrarch, who had been reproved by him for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things Herod had done. <laughs> that means John the Baptist was telling Herod, Herod, you need to repent. Herod, you need to repent. This is not okay, this relationship you have with your brother's wife. Remember Philip, the other Tetrarch? Yeah, it was his wife. They worked this thing, and he stole her, married to another man, now married to Herod as well, was all twisted and messed up, and John the Baptist called him out on it. It's not okay. It's not okay. He wasn't afraid to rebuke sin. He wasn't afraid to say, hey, this is a problem. Matthew tells a little more about it, Matthew 14. It says, at that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard about the fame of Jesus, and he said to his servants, man, Is this John the Baptist been raised from the dead? Is that why the miraculous powers are at work in him? For Herod had seized John, bound him, put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. Because John had been saying to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. And though he wanted to put him to death, he feared the people because they held him to be a prophet. So here he is, a voice crying in the wilderness, calling people to repent talking about the greatness of the Messiah who is to come, not afraid to rebuke people for their sin. And it cost him. Right? Yeah, Herod arrests him, it says in verse 20. Added to all this that Herod did wrong, added this to them all, he locked John up in prison. So the voice in the wilderness was imprisoned and ultimately beheaded for calling the people to repentance, for proclaiming the majesty of Christ, for rebuking people who were in sin, telling them, hey, that's sin. It's not okay. That was the role of a voice crying in the wilderness. John's placed at Macarus. It's uh, Herod's <clears throat> Herod's um, uh, palace across from Megiddo. Most of us have heard of Megiddo. Uh, the other side of the Dead Sea from Megiddo is Macarus. That's where John the Baptist was held and ultimately beheaded. As I look at this, I, I ask myself, do I want to be a voice? Do I want to be a voice like John was? Because I look and I see Jesus' ministry wasn't any different. He called people to repentance, no? What about the apostles? We read that in Acts, right? 2, 3, 17. What were they doing? Calling people to repentance. Did it cost them anything? Seems like, huh? Sometimes 
walk in the narrow path, there's tolls. Things we lose, things we give up, things we surrender, things we leave behind. On the road, perhaps, for others to pick up. I want to just leave you with this idea in Hebrews chapter 10. Just remember when we studied Hebrews, we looked at it. But recall the former days. When after you were enlightened, after you came to know who Jesus was, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach. That means people saying bad things about you for what you're doing. Sometimes publicly exposed with affliction, beaten in public. Sometimes being partners with those who were treated thus. Sometimes you just knew the people that went through that. For you had compassion on those who were in prison. And you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. Since you knew you had a better possession and an abiding one. Joyfully accepted the plundering of your property because for you Jesus was greater treasure than whatever you lost. A voice crying in the wilderness. Listen to what he said. Know what road you're on. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for the opportunity to come together study your word god to open the pages of scripture and god i pray that we are challenged i pray that uh it's pointless if we come to the mirror of the word of god and looking deep within that mirror if we can't see something in us lord something that you're drawing us toward lord i pray god that it would be our hearts as a body of believers gathered together here to say man i I want to know that my relationship with Jesus Christ is sure. I want to look and see, what road am I walking? What am I doing? Am I following Jesus just like the disciples when Jesus said, come follow me? Have Have I kind of lost, everything else lost its luster next to the beauty of Jesus Christ? God, I pray that, uh, that we could just come to that reality, that we're willing to say, man, I, I'm laying this down. I, I'm setting this aside. I, I want you. I want to seek first your kingdom. You taught us to pray, Lord. You said, pray like this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy will be done. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, I want your kingdom. But I don't just want your kingdom outside. I don't want your kingdom in our world. I want your kingdom inside of my life. Before that kingdom is ever coming outside, before that kingdom is going to make a dent on what's going sideways in our world, I have to allow it fully and completely in me. I have to bow the knee and make the proclamation that Jesus Christ is Lord. If He is Lord, I can't be too. I want Your kingdom in my heart. I want want an attitude of graciousness in my heart. I want that attitude of contentment in my heart. I, I want those things that, that John was calling the men and women who came to him in repentance. I want those things in my heart because that is what your kingdom is like. I want to hear the teachings that Jesus brings in the Sermon on the Mount. And I want to say, those need to be in my heart. God, may your kingdom come inside of me. May I bow the knee to you and say, your will be done. 
here. May I walk in repentance and faith and truth, love with my neighbor. May I be willing to be the one who delivers the hard message that nobody wants to give. May I be the one who will say we need to repent of our attitudes when our attitudes are sideways. God, I just... uh, I want for each of us that real relationship. That you're with me in my house. That you're with me in my car, on the bike. You're with me if I'm hunting or fishing. You're with me wherever I am and I acknowledge you. That you have all my hope and trust And in every way I turn and everywhere I go, I want to share with you. I want to tell you about it. I want to to lay it out before you. Because you say in Proverbs, if I do that, if I trust in the Lord with all my heart, and I don't lean in my own understanding or my own ways, but in everything I do, I acknowledge you, I make you a part of my life, then you'll keep my feet on the path I need to walk. For not only are you the God who saves me, you are the God who keeps me. So God, I just pray you do a work in us and through us and that we stop making excuses. I pray I stop making excuses for bad attitudes or a desire to to withdraw or whatever things, God, that are that are going on in me. I pray, God, that I would be a man of repentance. I pray that those who fellowship together with us would be men and women of repentance. And maybe, God, for the first time in a long time, we can experience what it is to live in a peace that surpasses all understanding. Because I'm not I don't have no guilt hung over my head. You paid the price for it all. You just want me to know. Yeah, this is not okay. Lay it down, Jackie. Put it down. Pick up my cross. Follow me. I pray, Lord, we hear the voice of one crying in the wilderness this morning. Make straight paths. We lift this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Everybody know God's good?